Hello. Thank you. It's good to see you all. Um, so in the last few weeks, we, as a church, we've been in a resurrection series of talks. Um, and we've talked about what does it look like to really live in the resurrection. So we talked about big topics like money, um, sex, parenting, and today the theme is power. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for the ways we understand and lean into power? Let me start with a story. So in the summer of 2019, I did something that felt a little wild and out of character for me. I had just finished my sophomore year of college in Illinois, and I was born and raised in Wisconsin, and I think all I really wanted was to get out of the Midwest, uh, out of the Midwest for the summer. Um, and I was offered an internship that was related to creative writing in Washington, D.C., which seemed like the perfect opportunity until I really started to think about it. So my Amtrak chugged from Chicago's Union Station to Washington, D.C., and my, I found myself in a little bit of a dilemma. First, I had never really been out east. Second, I was quickly reminded that pots, pans, utensils, and an apartment don't really show up out of nowhere. Third, my internship. I thought I had applied for an internship in editorial work, and actually, I was working in education. So many unexpected surprises later, um, I found myself that summer in the swamp of DC, spending my days teaching elementary schoolers to write short stories and poetry. We would traipse to the city together, taking the metro from Columbia Heights to museums, thrift stores, nature preserves, basically anywhere that could nurture the imagination, which was, of course, everywhere. As a part of our teaching, we were given very special instructions. When we gave students feedback, we weren't allowed to talk about their writing in terms of good or bad. We could um, give them props for their character development. We could talk about all the work that they had put into building the plot of their stories. We could even point out the vivid, um, wonderful word choice that they used. But we couldn't talk about their writing in terms of good or even great. Because there was no room for good or bad writing. There was only room for honest writing, for brave writing, for creative writing, for attentive writing. Of course, it's really wonderful to have skills and talents. And it's good to be good at things and to use them for the love of God and the love of other people. But that summer got me thinking. Okay. I think it's the wrong um, PowerPoint. <laughs> that summer got me thinking, what does it mean to be deeply, undeniably bad at something and still be called? Friends, if you're comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes as we remember together. First, remember a time when someone told you you were good at something. How did you feel? Did their words affect you in any way? Did they bear any weight on your sense of calling or the choices you made afterward? Now, remember a time when someone told you that you were bad at something. How did you feel? Did their words affect you in any way? Did the words bear any weight on your sense of calling or the choices you made afterward? I want to ask you to hold on to whatever came up for you, the memories, the moments, the questions. I'll pray for us, and then we'll delve deeper into what God has for us today in Scripture. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks for knowing us. Thank you for knowing us even more deeply than we know ourselves. Thank you for witnessing all of who we are and loving us for it. 
We give you thanks, God of mercy, God of grace. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Show us the impossible made possible power of your resurrection. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the scripture today is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. I'll read it for us first. It is necessary to, be, to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is allowed to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, it is then that I am strong." So I think we see a few things going on here in the passage. The first is this thorn in the flesh. So what is this thorn? In the passage, we don't really know what it is, but we know that it plagued Paul, even tormented him. Paul says he asked God once, twice, three times to remove this thorn in the flesh, and God did not. What do we make of this? What even is a thorn? I think it's important to see that this thorn is not just an idea. It's not just a trivial, random problem that was on Paul's mind. It's actually a thorn in the flesh, something that clung to his body, that pierced, and that changed him. It was something that probably hurt for him to carry, something that lived with him daily. And I think that if we read the letter really closely, we can see that the thorn in the flesh made him feel weak. He talks about his weakness not only in this passage, but multiple times as he writes his letters to the Corinthian church. For us today, it might seem easy to think that the thorn was just maybe an idea or a literary device that Paul used in the text. But back then, it would have been something painful to him, near to him, and something that the church of Corinth would have been well aware of. Even more than that, everyone who met him would have been aware of what this thorn was. Um, And so the question for us today is, what is a thorn that you've been carrying? For myself, if I'm being honest, a thorn that has stuck to my flesh for years is fear. Fear of using my voice, fear of showing up to space with everything I have and still being incompetent, of not being enough. Fear of telling the wrong stories, fear of being a bad storyteller. My thorn has stopped me from stepping out in the faith of Jesus. It's something that seemed to hold me captive, even seemed to keep me back from knowing the freedom of Jesus in my body. Because the problem with a thorn in the flesh is that it's more than an idea or an image. A thorn affects the body and it can make you feel weak. It can make you lose sleep. 
It can shape how you enter spaces. A thorn can make you not want to boast. And a thorn can even make you want to hide your weaknesses and more than that, hide yourself. There are weaknesses that are hard to talk about. Weaknesses that don't seem to go away, that we spend hours, maybe days on our knees asking God again and again to just please get rid of our thorn. Our thorns can be like wounds that we hide from, wounds that hurt to touch or to even think about. But I think the passage still invites us to ask, what is a thorn in your flesh? What is a weakness that you may have found yourself trying to hide? Is there a thorn in your life that you have asked God again and again to remove? So the first point is a thorn. The second thing that I think we see here in the passage is that we boast in our weakness. Again, we don't know Paul or his thorn or his weakness, but his audience would have known who it was, what it was. In the passage, Paul is saying, I won't boast even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. He's sort of saying to us, I could brag about all the cool things that Jesus told me about, but I won't. And still Paul says, on behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. And then he goes on to share his thorn in the flesh. He names it, he articulates it. He isn't embarrassed to say that he has asked God to remove it and God still has not. He names his thorn, he gives attention to his weakness, even in front of people who knew him, who knew his ministry, who knew his leadership. In other words, Paul exposes himself. Through the power of the Spirit, he is unafraid of being weak. I think that through the words of Paul, Jesus is telling us, you don't have to hide your weaknesses. In fact, you should boast in them. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we are empowered to be loud about our weaknesses. So in the last couple of years in New Haven, two women have been really important for me in teaching me what it means to boast in weakness. One of them is a mentor who spends much of her time discipling people in New Haven. I have seen her take risks. I've seen her try new things. I've seen her ask hard questions even when it exposes her own thorns or the thorns of others. The second is my mother, who has also taught me a lot about boasting and weakness. Growing up, for her, there was no good versus bad. There was no strong versus weak. The goal was never to succeed or even to be good. The goal was to figure out what I was called to do. So earlier this year, I was talking to this mentor, and I was being totally honest about my weakness, just pouring out my heart. And as I was voicing my fears, my doubts, my insecurities, I was expecting my mentor to say something maybe along the lines of, don't worry, you're amazing, you're great, you can do it. <laughs> Some sort of feel-good response to pocket and take with me as I went out. <laughs> Instead, she said, if God can speak through a donkey, God can speak through anything. And I think that included me. Yeah. Later on this year, I was having a similar conversation over the phone with my mother. Again, I selfishly wanted to hear her say, you're amazing, you're great, you've got this. But instead she said, hey, remember that time in the Old Testament when God opens the mouth of the donkey? <laughs> if God can speak through a donkey, God can speak through anyone or anything. Now, no offense to donkeys. I love donkeys. Who couldn't love them? But both conversations had me thinking, really, God? A donkey is setting the bar for me. 
I wanted to hear confirmation about how good I was, how competent I was, how qualified I was, and the people I trusted most in my life were telling me that God moved through donkeys. But I think the Holy Spirit was actually saying something here. Sometimes we're just plain bad at things. We're clumsy, we fumble, we make mistakes. And if you're anything like me, you might also at the same time crave to hear someone say, you're amazing, you're good, you've got this. These things are all true in their own way. But I think Jesus is also trying to tell us being amazing is not the point. The donkey is not the point. Paul is not the point. I am not the point. We are not the point. And this is really wonderful news. When we're told we should do more, be better, grow out of our weaknesses, God tells us, you are my daughter, you are my son, you are my child, no matter what. When we're told um, that our power depends on our performance, Jesus actually tells us that we meet his power in our own weakness. We meet Jesus' resurrection power in unexpected places, and nothing can take that away from us not even the weaknesses that come from our own thorns and our pain points. Earlier in his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul writes, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are qualified of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our qualification is from God, who has made us qualified to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Indeed, to the very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Our qualification is from God. Our life comes from the life that's poured out from the spirit of the living God. It is because of the spirit that our lives and our bodies even experience freedom. Through the power of the spirit, we come to the Lord um, with unveiled faces, with nothing to hide, and we still find glory. And with unveiled, unhidden, unashamed faces, we witness the face of God. Because of this resurrection power, we don't have to be afraid of being like a talking donkey. We can be bad at things, we can be competent of our own doing, and still not be ashamed. We can boast in Jesus' power, which moves in our weakness and our wounds. To boast in our weakness is to remind ourselves again and again and again, if the power of God can move through a donkey, the power of God can indeed move through us. Because the point isn't us or the donkey or even our weakness. The point is how God is speaking and how no place is too weak or too bad for the spirit to touch. So the first thing we see is a thorn. The second thing that we see is boasting. Um, and the third is not only boasting, but boasting most gladly. Paul writes, it is necessary to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it. And he also writes, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. What does it mean to boast most gladly? Let me share another story. This past year, I decided to take a class on New Testament Greek. <laughs> I had heard the seminary in horror stories, sleepless nights, failed exams, hours and hours of studying, but no one told me the biggest horror of them all. How embarrassing Greek would be. 
Our professor was one of the best teachers I've had in my whole life, and even still, I remember how awkward and how humiliating Greek was for a really long time. Many days, we would go around the room doing translations or answering questions, and I soon realized that I would either, one, have to be very okay with being very bad at something in front of a lot of other people, or two, I would have to drop the class. There were days, many, many days, that the professor went around the room and it was my turn to be called on and I said, I don't know, not just once, but many, many, many times. This feels like a small thing, and in many ways it is like a small thing, but it connected to deeper insecurities. I couldn't help but notice all the smart people in the room and ask, did I really belong there? I also couldn't help but notice that I was the only Latina in the room and one of two women of color in the room and ask, did other people take me seriously? Should I study more hours so that I might be a little more qualified when I showed up to class? I don't know when my attitude began to change, but there was a point in the last year that changed me. I realized that it could be an incredible gift to be bad at something. Not just bad at something in a cute way, like when we try to be humble about what we're good at without trying to flex too hard. No, I'm talking about being like really undeniably bad at something. For me, Greek was a way to practice being really bad at something and still show up. And over time, I began to feel delight and even joy at being bad. And strangely, I began to feel proud too. Proud to be there, proud to show up again and again, and to see God do new things through this showing up. Greek started as something small, but it was also what made me start asking, what if I practice being okay with weakness, with failing and fumbling in other areas of my life? In the last year, I began to try a lot of new things. I started writing poetry, actually with some folks here through Writer's Circle. I picked up my violin again and started to improvise with friends. I spoke up at times when I really, really didn't want to. I tried new hobbies, I accepted new jobs, I let God open doors that had been closed for me for a really, really long time. And I witnessed God plant dreams on what felt like dried up, fruitless soil. Through something small, God began to do something big. The Spirit was teaching me day by day what it could look like to boast most gladly in my weakness. To not let my thorns stop me from boasting in the power of God, and to see that there was more than pain, there was more than fear. There was actually the joy and the abundance of Jesus. So this year was a year of trying new things, and I wish I could tell you that I was great at everything, that I left every moment feeling inspired and excited by what God had done. But there were times that I tripped up over and over again in front of lots of other people. There were times when my thorns pricked me especially hard, when I wondered if they would ever go away, if I would ever move freely. Times when I wondered if Jesus was growing his work in my life or if I should just go back to what I'd known all my life and what I'd already been good at. But I'm also glad to say that I wasn't great at every new thing that I tried because the grace of Jesus is stronger than positivity and stronger than feel-good affirmations like you're great, you've got this, you can do this. We boast most gladly because we believe that the resurrection power of God actually lives inside of our weaknesses. I think Paul was willing to voice his weakness, not because it was such a fun thing to do, but because he had experienced the grace and hope of Jesus. The hope isn't that our weaknesses go away or even necessarily that our thorns go away. The hope is not that we'll grow out of our weakness. The hope is that Jesus' grace is here right now. 
The resurrection means that even when things haven't seemed to change, Jesus is doing a new thing and nothing will stop it. There is freedom now. We are free to meet God's power in the very places that hurt. We don't have to wait to experience Jesus' mercy, abundance, and power. Right here, right now, the power of Jesus can live in our thorn, can live in our wounds, can live in the places where we've been made to feel powerless and hopeless. This is reason to boast and to boast most gladly. And finally, just the question, where have you been made to feel powerless? Paul writes, but he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with hardships, with insults, with persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus is telling Paul and us, not only is it important for us to accept our weaknesses as part of life, but actually more than this. We get to know the power of God more deeply, more intimately through our weakness. It is in the very places where we've been made to feel powerless that the power of God lives and dwells and is made complete. So where have you been made to feel powerless? Where have you felt weak? Where maybe have you been, even been made to feel small or like you have little to offer or bring? It is in those places that we encounter the real power of God, again, not just as an inspirational idea, but a reality. We experience more of the power of God through our weakness, not despite our weakness. Jesus comes to us with the unexpected gentleness of his power, and he says, my grace is enough for you. Jesus says to us, my power dwells in you and is made complete in your weakness, even the weakness that hurts and that you hoped you would have outgrown by now. The gentle power of God isn't telling Paul, do better, be better, evolve. The power of God is telling Paul, be loud about your weakness so that the power of my spirit may be made known. It is grace for Jesus' resurrection power to meet our wounds. It is grace to know freedom now. So where does this leave us? Power is a really big thing. Is it something that we should just take up with God individually um, and wrestle with God individually? I think the answer is no. I think there are more implications. When we let our thorns and weaknesses meet the power of the Spirit, things begin to change. After his resurrection, Jesus' followers believed in the impossible made possible power of the Spirit, and they continued to do the work of Jesus for the sake of love, even when they were persecuted and put in prisons. Jesus' resurrection power actually does something. When we let our weakness meet the power of Jesus, our understanding of community and even power structures begins to change. In many power structures, we are told, stay in your place, be satisfied with, things, with how things are, don't make noise. We are often told the lie that we have to be good and competent in order to have power and to create change. And too many times, we're asked to submit to standards of goodness that actually aren't really that good and that we didn't even help create. The resurrection power of Jesus tells us a different story altogether. Jesus tells us you can be bad at something and be very proud. You can be seen as weak and rejoice in being compared to a donkey. Because you know that nothing can strip you of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
No power, no lie, no death can keep us from the power of Jesus' grace and love. Stepping into the resurrected life of Jesus means that we no longer have to be afraid of our weakness or the weakness of others. We have nothing to prove. We have nothing to hide. Our only boast is in our weakness because that's where we look into the face of God. And I think the passage really invites us to shake up how we are taught to view power. How might we show up differently to church, to jobs, to communities if we really believe that the Spirit's power was found in human weakness? If we really believe that being bad at something was actually a gift? Would we stop criticizing ourselves as much or maybe even stop criticizing others? Might we spend our time differently, try new things joyfully maybe? Might we even understand our sense of calling differently? Would we taste the grace of Jesus more often and extend this grace to everyone around us, even in their weakness? To close, I'll go back to the story I started with. At the beginning, I told the story of my summer in DC. When I would run around the city with kids as they wrote short stories, poems, essays, and everything in between. How there was no room for good or bad writing, that summer, it was not just the students who learned how to tell stories. I also began to imagine what might change if I understood my life in the same way. What if we let ourselves be children, children of God? What if we really believed that there was more for us than labels of good and bad? If we didn't judge our performance, but we let ourselves figure out what the Spirit's power looks like in our lives? That summer, it was beautiful to see how the kids really took their freedom seriously. They blurred genres, they wrote poems about lilac bushes, they wrote rap songs um, about their families, and they wrote fantastical fiction stories. They created chapbooks and they held poetry readings for people, to, people in DC to come witness their imagination and creativity. They were free to create, free to tell whatever stories were on their hearts, free to let their words dance and not be judged for it. That summer, I saw God in this freedom. If we take seriously the power of God in our weakness, how might our understanding of our callings change? Might we be more open to how the Spirit is leading us, even in the places that we feel were not made for us? Would we start to tell our stories in different ways? So I have um, a few invitations for us. The first is what stories have you stopped telling? So what stories um, maybe feel like they have dead soil, barren soil, what have you let slip away? The second was what stories have defined you? So that could be negative stories, positive stories, what stories do you feel like have been important in telling you who you are? The third is where have you been made to feel powerless? And then just the fourth, just asking Jesus, bringing these before God, and asking what stories might need to receive life through the resurrection power of his spirit. Um, so we can actually bring these before God right now and just take a moment of silence to pray. Um, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you know our stories, that you hear our stories, that you remember even things that we ourselves have forgotten. Um, earlier we sang about, um, can all that is lost ever be found, God? Um, and for those of us who are feeling the sense of 
um, losing things, maybe losing our stories, losing parts of ourselves, God, um, would you remind us that in you, um, our stories are remembered, Lord. Would you, Spirit of the living God, pour out your life, pour out your creativity? Would you let our words dance? Would you let our stories dance, God? Um, in Jesus' name we pray.